everybody. We are back for another week of trash and wonderfulness on Megasheen. I can't think of anything else. <laughs> I'm Victor. And I'm Nick. And whew, it's a lot been going on. So let's catch up. And what you been up to? Well, uh, back in town, doing work. Um, almost getting there with um, with my next project. My editor, it was two big things. We got to change. And it's funny because we're working on the ending. And I had an ending idea, but I didn't go with that one. I went with another one. And she was like, let's try this one. I said, well, that was the original idea. So I was like, that's so funny. I should have went with my instinct. So it's been interesting, as I always keep saying, how they it's almost like therapy. It really is. It's like it helps you kind of break through like, wow, what's been holding me back by telling this type of story? Why am I, you know, it's like all about like, why am I holding myself back? You kind of learn that about yourself when you're writing. And I learned from other writers. They was like, yes, it is what you think you got a story written. You realize that there is something else buried there. And once it's released, you're like, oh, look at that. And I was reading some stuff from about Chris Claremont, who's been writing X-Men for many years. Uh-huh. All the stuff that he was saying was like, once he really started breaking, get out of his own way, the stories were coming through. And I was like, yes. But it's so funny because people don't write like him anymore. Um, right. Because, you know, he will give you, like, bubbles, you know, like, thought bubbles and... Oh, yeah. So many descriptions. I think about the Phoenix Saga, Lord, the descriptions that he will give, which I love those. I love when he will give a description of what's happening. I remember that one panel when uh, she was Dark Phoenix and the lightning, she got struck by lightning and it was just kind of going through her, but the way he described it as it, lightning and energy caressing her like a lover. I was like, oh, look at that. All right. <laughs> but it's like things that, you know, when you visually see it, it's like, oh. And it really helps tell the story. So it's been really interesting, really understanding that this is not easy. This is not for everybody. Writing right. or writing in general is not everybody. But it, I don't want to discourage people from not doing it, but I think you have to be ready for the critiques and ready for the developments and everything. So yeah, you know, that's been really, really, really cool. And, you know, tomorrow we are heading in, I, I like to say really heading in the fall because time changes in, you know. Right. Thank God. I, why my dumb ass thought it was uh, last week. <laughs> I was like, oh, I get another week. And then I got up the next morning. I was like, why ain't none of these clocks changed? I'm like, oh, oops. Well. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on with you? Well, let's see. <laughs> Y'all know it's a lot going on with me. <laughs> um, celebrating 13 years with the B, the bow. Um so there's that. I don't know what we're going to do, but, you know, you get to a certain point where it's like, okay, so do you want to do anything? No, not really. Okay. Then there's that. Um, last day at the old job was yesterday. So that was very interesting. And I wore my scar. Um, I'm surrounded by idiots shirt. Just to be that kind of petty. 
So uh, there's that. You know what? Nobody said anything, but somebody did make us. One lady said, oh, um, are you uh, something to the effect or something? uh, She said, are you what are you saying with that shirt? And I was like, oh, just giving subliminal messages. But they had like a cake for me and everybody was like, oh, we're going to miss you. Yada, yada, yada. I was like, "Okay." I can't with a clear conscience believe that, but maybe that is just me projecting what I want them to uh, think, you know, psychology and whatnot. Uh, Other than that, I am still playing uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I've got like, (sighs) I think 130 hours in that game and I'm still not finished. I'm finished. I'm tr- well, at least trying to finish up Wu Assassins, cause girl, that was a hike to get through. I got like 20 minutes left, and I one time I just turned it off. I was like, I can't do no more. And it's not like the action is bad. It's just some of the acting. It's just <sighs> I want it to be better than it was. But other than that, um, I'm not doing anything else. Getting and ready for this vacation. Well, okay, so just a little bit. What do you mean that you wanted the acting a little bit better? What was the fallout? I don't think the acting, the acting is not on par with the action. Mm-hmm. So I think, and that's not, I don't think it's wrong with the, the actors, is maybe with the writing. Um, I don't know. There's just, I want it to be better than it was. And I think some of the the writing was, I guess, um, typical or the whole usual, here's the, the person who's supposed to save the world and that type of shit. I want it to be not the norm. And maybe they fell into that whole pattern of uh, normalcy as far as those kind of genres are concerned. You know, that's, that makes a lot of sense. I think as creators, sometimes we, we underestimate what the audience want and expect. Um, and I think sometimes we have to be mindful that sometimes we might want to be thrown out of our seat. You know what I mean? Like, just right. like, oh, hell, I wasn't even ready for that. Like, take us, you know, take the detour and give us something different or really change that. That's something that I'm learning right now. Um, and you just have to really just throw it out there because I think when you do that, you realize there is a whole nother open door and it just, and it's a weird journey because it's like you dread it but then it's like wait a minute i have all this space mm-hmm. really, really take everybody to the next level because i think when you you want characters to to, to thrill you and, and and to surprise you and i think if you're just expecting the same old same yeah I, I don't know if they'll get another season i don't because i haven't got to the end i don't know if it's left for another season but like i said the action they they did the damn thing on the action 
but the acting. Who who was the one that just kind of took you out? The, honestly, the main character. <laughs> the the quote unquote Wu assassin. His acting is. Eh, it needs a little work. But it's not terrible. Yeah, and I get that because I was, I think, yeah, I think I only made it through the first. Yeah, but it's, it's interesting because I think about that and I think about Raising Dion. So. I still haven't seen that. Well, I took a break because it got to a point where I was like. I was like, okay. And I know other people have been talking about it. And, you know, it gets, it's interesting because, you know, we want it to succeed because it is a black story. But at the same time, you know, like you were saying, this acting, and you're just like, okay. Yeah, this, like, yeah, we want things that are by black people, with black people, created by black people to succeed. However, we shouldn't tolerate trash, neither. You know, we are just as good, if not better, than a lot of these white-centered shows and movies and creators around here. So it's not, I don't think we're asking for too much or reaching for the stars or being difficult when we want, when we actually want excellence. Because we don't want a full, we don't want all these movies to be like acrimony. No, we don't. (laughs) (laughs) Or temptation or anything else, you know, because it's, yeah, it's true. And, 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 And I want, I want everything to succeed. I want, especially things about us. I want that to succeed. And I know, um, we have to be careful with with what we're putting out there, but also we have to be mindful of again our audience. Our audience may want things to really push them, and we have to really take that into consideration. Um, but also really be mindful of what again we're putting out there, making sure feel it, and and we'll fight for it. Because you know, I think about how um, Penny Dreadful when that was out, people were fighting for it when it was gone. When it, when they was like, we canceling it, they were. Mad because the acting was superb. Mm-hmm. And it was an amazing stuff. I look back, I went back and look at um, I think season two. And that was my favorite season because it was about witches, <laughs> basically. But it was the way that they carried on in that mess. Um and Vanessa, when she was started doing that devil talk, I just love it to death. I just I had to look it up. And I love that mess. <laughs> Somebody explain what she was saying. I was like, what the hell is she saying? She's speaking like most like multiple languages. But it was like, this is the type of stuff that I, I love and I miss and I wish other places would give it to us. I don't know if it's budget or the quality of writing, but I did hear, we'll get into a little bit more about writers, <laughs> but um, I did hear like how, uh, I think it was Morgan Sherlock, I think I'm saying his name, he's a black writer who's written for Empire now he's gonna be part of something big. No, it's um, Falcon Winter Soldier. Uh-huh. Um, 
he was talking about, he said the new generation of writers don't have that discipline as some of the old generation of writers, where, you know, they come from life experiences. And um, I think as, I think, um, shout out to um, Fall, Fall Nerds, they talked about, they talked to the writer of Watchmen and how he was like, I needed to diversify not only in age, not only in race, but in age when it comes to the writer's room. You having that life experience helps you tell good stories. But when you pull in folks who their life experiences, I went to USC grad school and I had to like work at McDonald's for two days. That's not really a lot of a, <laughs> a life experience to really give you a story that you deserve. So, you know, I hope that as we, and if you've watched, if y'all have watched Watchmen, you got to watch Watchmen. I, I'm putting it in my queue. You know, I'm, I'm always behind. <laughs> I was going to, I'm, I'm doing uh, Game of Thrones, but given a recent events, <laughs> I might have to just throw that whole series aside. And we'll get into it later, but yeah, I know I, I have to watch uh, uh, the Watchmen. Well, Watchmen. Yeah, because it is giving story, and Regina King is horrible person. <laughs> but let's go ahead and get up into Aunt um, too, because we have a lot on this table. So let's go ahead and get started. What should we start with? Let's start with something good first. Um, <laughs> the uh, Spider-Verse 2. So what was it, yesterday or day before yesterday? They announced that the sequel to the Academy Award winning. Let me repeat that. The Academy Award winning original is set to be released in April 8th of 2022. Um, now that's, as far as I know, the only information I've seen out there. Uh, I'm guessing we're going to hopefully it'll still be centered around uh, Miles Morales and the original uh, voice actors will be uh, returning as well as the original um, director and everybody else that was involved. I'm excited. I think uh, Spider-Verse was what well, is one of the best animated and one of the best Spider-Man movies created. Mm-hmm. And I'll be there <laughs> for uh, opening night. Me too. I'm going to be there the opening weekend. And you're right. I mean, it took me by surprise. Cause I didn't know what to expect. You know, the part of it was like, Lord, it's going to be all this different type of communication. Sometimes I don't, it's hard for me to really get into stuff like that. But when I was sitting there, I was like, they're telling you a story. It is funny. It was cute. Miles was a character I believed in. And, you know, no, I have no idea where they're going to go with this one, but that's the fun thing. It's like, a, we're gonna, it's going to be a ride that I'm ready Right. And I'm really excited for it because it's going to be great. We know that. They know they have to live up to expectations. And I believe in it. I believe they're going to have us just reeling again for this movie. Um, and I just, I'm excited. I, I like they even teased us like this because that tease got everybody talking yesterday. Right. <laughs> I kind of knew that they was they were gonna do something like that when they said uh, our spidey sense was tingling. I was like, oh, here comes the sequel. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, 
But hey, everybody wants to see it. And I say, take your time. Do like the SOS band. Um, and we'll we'll be there. You know, everybody loves it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see what else we got. Uh, the Witcher trailer. Well, an, another Witcher trailer. Yeah, I'm sold. <laughs> I don't have to see anything else. I don't have to hear anything else. I will be there. Um, I'm not sure how much you're going to pull from the original work or the game, mm-hmm. but again. I don't care. I did see a sister up through there. I wonder how much of a role that she has and who she's playing and if she'll be killed off. Well, yeah, I did wonder that too because I was like, I, you know, The Witcher is, is very white. And I was like, okay, well, maybe they can do some remakes from here, which is fine. Because I know um, they're doing that with Dracula. Yeah. Has, they have mixed that up a lot. Which I'm like, okay. Um, but this was really good. I I I'm sold. I'm I'm sold for the wrong reasons. Cause one of the things I noticed in that trailer was, you know, normally they always do the women kind of walking butt first into something. They turned around and did him butt first in the screen, walking into battle. And I have to say, uh, y'all may have been seeing some clips of him when he works out when Henry is out there working out. He's always had a kind of a big, big leg. And- He's solid. That motherfucker's yeah. solid. And so we, we're going to see some of that stuff. Um, and then they did have the, the famous little bathtub scene, wonder how far they're going to go with that. But uh, Just yeah. let me see the tip, Henry. Just the tip. <laughs> well, I don't know if they're going to go there. Well, you never know because, um, spoiler alert for Watchmen, they go there. Oh, really? Yes. Oh well, that just moved up in my uh, queue. Get the balls. Mm. Times. I guess because he all right for that. So much euphoria, so much. I guess why not? But uh... I mean, it's been a while. Th- that's another thing. Like all of these shows, well, all these shows in the past have been so. I guess they didn't have a problem showing a woman's. Uh, you know, her breast or her vagina, whatnot. And now, oh, well, then they were like, oh, we can't show a man's uh, dick or it would be so, it would be so much to even show a man's ass. And now I'm hoping the tide has been turning as far as showing all of the male anatomy because first, it's just only right. And second of all, it, it destigmatizes how we view each other's bodies. Mm-hmm. And I think I just think it's past time anyway. Well yeah, you know, this is I'm looking forward to this, not just to see, you know, that's gonna be a part of it, but to see what the story is, because I have no idea what the story really is. I mean, though I don't play video games, so I will be like, okay, that's what it's about. And you know, Witcher makes me think of witches, and I love witchcraft, so you have to be able to do it well. And who knows? You know, it could be a good. Nah, one. I don't know about that spider. 
Like they had me the first trailer that they uh showed. I was like, oh yeah, I'm there. And then once I saw that spider come out of the hole, I had to close my whole damn phone. I was like, okay, I've seen enough. I have seen enough. But yes, Witcher comes out. I think it comes out uh what next month? Mm, I think so. It's coming out mm-hmm. soon. They wouldn't put this trailer out. Right. Yeah, it comes out. Series is set to be released on December 20th. So we are ready to go. Speaking of ready to go, HBO Max will be coming in 2020. But they're making sure y'all know. They spent, what, the other day just, just burning up Twitter with all types of stuff. You know, I have to say, y'all doing way too much with the, all these streaming services. Like, it, it's it's just a lot coming. And I'm always like, do we need all of y'all? Because, and then somebody did add it all up. And it's still not super expensive. But for me, for example, I don't think I'm probably going to really be shilling out some money for it. It's, it's not. I'm not going to really get into everything else like that. But, you know, when you look at HBO Max, they're going to you know, have pretty much everything that HBO Go has, but they're going to have some new original content. What kind of struck out to me was the fact that we may see a lot of DC stuff because there was talk that Greg Berlanti is going to try to put some stuff on HBO. Go. I can, I kind of see that. But it makes me wonder what's going to happen to um, DC Direct, and what? Well, yeah, I heard DC Universe is going away. Really? I heard that. I don't. It doesn't make sense for DC to have DC Universe and then also put their stuff on HBO Max. Mm-hmm. That is, to me, that's not a good business model. Because I'm already splitting my service, my services and my resources in two different ways and my audience in two different ways. And they're basically competing towards one another and already a saturated market because everybody has a streaming services. Yeah. And it's funny because Marvel, I mean, Mar- basically DC Plus is Marvel, but it's the fact that you're right. It's too much splitting in there. And I think what's what I think they're trying to do is they're going to try to test it out because what they're going to do is basically the Green Lantern, uh, Green Lantern series over there at HBO Max. And I think that's going to be what I think is kind of is smart because they're going to test it out with a character that people like, ah, oh, okay. You know, it's, it's like how Iron Man was. Remember when Iron Man came out, it was almost like, probably like, like, right. But that kicked it all off, kind of, because Blade kind of kicked it off. But this is where. I would hope. I hope that works out, though. Yeah, because Green Lantern as a movie did not work. That was a mess. <laughs> and Ryan Reynolds, you know that. Yeah, I think he's accepted that at this point. <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting to see they're going to go with this Green Lantern series, um, and it could be something that we can really get into because I guess it's going to be more of the Green Lantern's core kind of. 
type of thing. But it's going to be kind of funny to see um, how, not funny, but see how well this plays out there um, with the audience. Um, and if it becomes successful, then you might see more of stuff going out there. But then, yeah, I have to wonder then what will be the plan? Will Titans go over there? And I don't know. It's interesting because I've been hearing a lot of mixed reviews about Titans now because people are saying this is no longer Titans. It's something else. Because um, it, it's very bleak to a degree. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe this is their way of maybe beginning to clean things up. Who knows? But with HBO Max, it's coming out 2020. Uh, it's going to feature some interesting projects and we saw some of that like Issa Rae and all that would be part of these new things but again it does make you wonder um you know with all these services are people going to just join just to watch two shows you know what I'm saying so it, somebody's going to get smart and be like well we can combine because you know it, it'll be like the direct tv stuff they'd be like well we can give you this package <laughs> or, mm-hmm. For forty dollars, you can get these pieces, and that might be enough. Um, that's what they're kind of doing now. So I wonder how they're going to work that out with companies who can do stuff like that um, versus their own thing. But with all these companies, I, I and I never had Hulu, and I have and I have um, Prime Video or whatever it's called, and I didn't even ask for that. But that is free enough to where it's like I can get plenty of things from that. That's fine. I think it's up to how much TV you really watch and what you really want to watch. Yeah, we have uh, Hulu and Netflix. And with the Hulu, we have the um, the HBO add-on. Mm-hmm. So we have basically what we have, what we want to watch. And we have like a, a Roku, since our TV, there's a Roku built into the TV, so we can have free movies and channels free movies and uh, shows there and also there's pluto that's a free streaming service now granted they ain't got much um (laughs) aside from um like the game show network and whatnot is it the game show or some other buzzer yeah that has the old school game shows um i think there might be some more uh streaming services well, some streaming services that will basically drop out. Like I know PlayStation View, they will shut down as of January of next year. And I had them for a time and they were, they were cute. I mean, you you could do a live uh, TV uh, show streaming from there, but I think the market is already oversaturated. And that's where we'll start to see who's sticking. Right. Because, yeah, once it gets too many, it's going to be, it's going to be kind of like, okay, this is enough. Because that's, that's going to take money to run a lot of these things. And even Netflix is, some people are talking about Netflix might be at threat. You know, I'm like, well, I never thought about it like that. Because Netflix has been around from, the, like, that's all the way back to just getting the little DVDs. <laughs> right. Market. They've been around for a while. But I will say, if they keep wasting money, you know, putting, ordering friends. I don't think Netflix is going to go away. Yeah. I think they've built too much of a um a business model and a business to not not succeed. 
Well, they'll be here. Yeah, I just think it's gonna be it's gonna be wonderful to see the content. I think we're gonna start seeing really good content because they want to survive. We might see better content than we had before. I do worry about the regular channels though, like the CWs, the ABCs, CBSs, because I wonder. Because uh-huh. I still wonder, would they be around in ten years? I mean, I guess so because you know, old folks. Let me see. People like to watch the regular news, a little local news. Uh, but you know, I think all those shows they have, I'm like, nobody, no, I'm, I'm wrong. Because people do watch those Jag, well, Jag is not there anymore. But they do watch those CSIs and all that stuff. Shows that I have been around since 45 years. <laughs> they are still watching these shows. So, oh, my man. So, you know, I guess, <laughs> I guess. Well, let's move on to, I guess, more of the trash. Where do you want to start? Well, let's see. Let's let's get into. Let's go ahead and talk about. Let's talk about kind of the interesting. I don't know what you want to call it, fallout or just the development of that whole situation with these writers. Um, uh, okay. It's been interesting. Yes, it's very much, very much so. So, uh, you want to get into it? Yes. So, I think it was uh, last week or last weekend. Uh, yeah, I think it was last weekend. Yeah. Um, so apparently, there was like, and I don't think it. Was, I'm not sure where it was, and I need to probably pick it up now because um, I did listen to a podcast where it featured several writers talking shows and everything and they were part of that but um let's let's, let's uh, i can't even talk so <laughs> basically what happened was david benoff i'm saying their names wrong and daniel weiss was talking about game of thrones and talked about how they basically were just making mistakes they didn't know a lot of things the material was kind of foreign to them they really didn't read the books they also talked about how they, the pilot, the pilot, I was told was horrible. And many people talk about that for those who saw the pilot. It was horrible and I had to go back and get it together. But not only that, they was trying to take away a lot of the elements of Game of Thrones, a lot of the magical fantasy elements to make it more appealing to, I guess, fans and, and housewives to watch. Not understanding that, you know, the geek culture fuels so many things. I mean, no shade, but look at Supernatural. The fact that's been around for um, over 10 years <laughs> tells you that we can fuel a show forever. Star Trek, all that stuff. Things, you know, we keep things going. Um, and so they was going to try to, you know, they talked about how they want to tool these things and how, you know, they it was just basically, it felt like a, a bit like a, it was expensive film school. It was like a, all this type of thing for them. And it hit a lot of people wrong to where that kind of led off into a Twitter storm about the stuff that they were going through, what they were going through, and giving us all the stuff they gave us, but also the last season and how that kind of reiterated how many people hated the last season of Game of Thrones. I felt like it was rushed and it was trash. And you remember there was a petition to redo it <laughs> and everything. Um, 
because the thing was they was they was trying to finish it up so they can get on to this new project of Star Wars. Uh, and so it got on Twitter. People were just highly upset. Um, and it also kind of spoke to the issues that we always have seen when it comes to Hollywood about how they really cherish their, their white, um, their white writers and creators and everything. The fact that they were able to fall out so many times. And yet there's a struggle for people of color to even get a foot in the door, a finger in the door to even do anything. And also they mentioned how, you know, their writer's room was not very diverse at all. Um, surprise, surprise. So, you know, it was it was kind of an interesting thing, but not a surprise to many of us because we have to remember they were also trying to do the Confederate show, uh, which also garnered a lot of criticism to the point where we they had shut that down. Um, and so it made me really... It, when I looked at it all, it was like really, really shocking to, in a degree to like, y'all had so many chances, so many chances that sometimes I was like, well, Jordan Peele had that, well, he had been given that many chances. Um, well, Ava DuVernay had been given that many chances. Um, you think of anybody else who, you know, black writers, um, that's next writers, will they have, will they have been given any those chances. Hell, the writer for um, Crazy Rich Asians had to fight to keep certain things in the book. At one point, they wanted, to, I mean, in the movie, they even wanted to make the one of the characters white. <laughs> so, and then they're doing a sequel. She had to fight, I believe, for more money. And I'm sitting there going, wow. So it's interesting to see how these people are fighting to make things happen, fighting to kind of make these changes. And yet here they were, David and this guy, is basically just falling up. Falling up. Child. White man, I swear. The, the, the whiteness is worth its weight in gold. I guess it is. It never sleeps. And so it's just always fascinating to hear stuff like that but it's been but the interesting part was with that fallout over the weekend i think it was last weekend or so that was yeah. a and then all of a sudden we hear that they're no longer a part of the star wars because you know they the nerds would have been they they would have rioted well, they if they already, fucked up they star wars rioting about that they were already like no hell no and it was funny because they was the thing was, they were supposedly rushing to, you know, finish Game of Thrones so they get on to this. But then it came out that they're no longer on. Well, good. <laughs> you said good. Um, they said because they have some, you know, because of their, their uh, I guess. Don't they have a Netflix deal? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they do, which we will, you know, I guess. I'm beginning to question that too sometimes. Netflix deals. I'm like, okay, you can put out stuff for the people who watch it. But um, yeah, so they um, they no longer are doing anything with Star Wars. Um, they be instead what they're saying is that we focus on new development films and series as a part of Netflix. They have like a nine figure deal. I mean, so they will stay rich, but. You know, I guess because of the schedule, it's going to be an issue. And somebody said, I'm going to try to bring Confederate to 
<laughs> I wouldn't be surprised um, if that happens, but we will see. Somebody said we already have a little bit of that because of what Watchmen kind of gets into. Uh, but I was like, I don't want to, I wouldn't say that. But they have a full plate and, you know, in the sense of like doing stuff for Netflix. But I, I think that was a wise move, a good move. So I think, I'll be honest, I think they got put off of Star Wars because of the the backlash. Because people, because think about it, if people are not really feeling it. And, you know, they could even, they didn't even go to Comic-Con. They kind of canceled Comic-Con. I guess. Mm-hmm. People didn't come from. I think that what would have happened is because people did not like or care for them right now, that would have probably just tarnished what they would be doing. Um, and that's probably a risk somebody said, we can't even take it this time. We're already dealing with backlash anyway. This would have just made it bigger. Um, and then also, I think it would have overshadowed the movie. So I'm excited that the next realm, or the next round, sorry, the next round of Star Wars may be helmed by someone else. I really think they should take a risk and look at other people they just never thought of to do this. I understand it's money involved, yes. But I also think that sometimes very fresh ideas coached by someone who, like, if if George Lucas said, you know what, I mean, I really don't have much to do with it, but it's anymore. But if he was like, you know what, if we, if I can come back as a coach, we could bring in some fresh people. I think it could be, it could, it could work. It could work. Yeah. I really do. But I, I feel, I feel like this interesting move with David and um, uh, is just kind of interesting because that fallout kind of, this, the timing of everything is kind of interesting how it fell out. And so I'm like, okay. But they also there is a, another Game of Thrones show that that got removed from HBO. Well, it was a prequel, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a prequel. Now the one that is coming out is the one about um, the House of Dragon or whatever. But the other one kicked off. And I'm a little hurt because I think that one had more of a diverse cast, so that could have been fun. Um, but who knows what this one will be? But yeah, so it's it's been an interesting change of events. I don't know if this is people like we need to like be careful about how we are rewarding these writers and creators because again they didn't create Game of Thrones. They wasn't the creators; they just wrote some things and made some changes. But I mm-hmm. hope the studios and you know people who are putting the money in all this is really thinking about who can deliver the story, but also how can we make make this more interesting and compelling to the audience, but also how we can get people more excited about being in this industry. Because this industry, there's rumors that, you know, you know, when it comes to all the streaming services and all these things, it's gonna, it's gonna take a toll on writers to where it's gonna be like, you know, it's a lot of work. And it's, it is, you gotta put content out, you have to make sure this stuff is running and going. You, it's almost where you can't make mistakes anymore. Um, and, it's easy for them to go for people they trust versus like looking outside. But I hope that they do try to look at more of outside writers because we do need that. And also more diverse writers because we keep getting these same stories by told by a white perspective. And I think we need to change that and 
hopefully as some of these people are putting folks in the writers rooms and they are really 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 diversifying their not only just in race but in age to tell you a great story um and also really take the time to want to do that i'm not saying that they didn't want to tell a good story but i think as they got popular and bigger i think money became an issue too you're getting a lot of money how much does that influence you really getting good stories out there when you already know people are going to be there to see you regardless if it's trash or not yep pretty much <laughs> so yeah um we'll see um i don't know how did you feel about when you heard all this fall out what was, what was your thought i was like okay it kind of reinforced what i suspected because after how they treated season what seven the final season of Game of Thrones and how everybody was pissed off and doing all this uh, hip and hollering. I was like, well, duh. You know, you can't take something that is that in-depth with characters, with storylines and all of this, and then throw up some plain spaghetti. Like, of course they didn't know what they were doing because they didn't read the material or didn't do any kind of research or Googling or anything like that. Of course they didn't. So I wasn't surprised. I was surprised at how for basically, it felt like they had ran a scam and they just had told on themselves at this uh, panel. They're like, oh, well, now that the scam is over, let me tell you how we did it. It reminded me of one of those shows on CNBC when they uh, do like the the crooked people or some kind of uh, charlatans or people that run off with other folks' money. It reminded me of one of those uh, shows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those snake oil cells, man. Right. But I, 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 I so. don't take too much away from because they, 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 they are disciplined writers. I'm not gonna take that away from them. It's been like that. To go to now talk about like, you know, we didn't know what we were doing or stuff like that. That they need. I don't know if they truly understood. Truly understood the impact of what that how that will come out and how that will feel. Being two white men, knowing how you know white men are awarded things, none of the work, and all that. they should have been more mindful of that. They could have kept it to their graves, or just kind of been like, "Hey, we made it." And part of me will be like, "Look, we made it." I'm not gonna sit up here and talk about. It. I'll say, "Yeah, we made some mistakes," but you know, we we did what we tried to do, and you know, we I would have left it just clear, like just like that. There's no need to talk about how. You know, oh my God, all the opportunities we got from this. Like, no, because that makes people, that discourages people. Mm -hmm. People who want to get into stuff when they know that they are not allowed to make these mistakes. You know, like, think about, I might even say it, because that's been controversial too. Like, people who are involved with Harriet. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> 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 Oh, Lord. 
That was, oh my God. You talk about a shit show. And it's still, I I have not paid attention to that sh- that shit show mainly because I have other stuff to worry about right now. And B, I don't want to see a, another slave movie. And what I'm hearing from it is some white savior complex going on in there. So I was like, okay. So that lets me further know that this movie ain't for me. Yeah, because it, it is a white savior. I was, but I'm hurt because the people behind it. That's what kind of hurts a little bit. So isn't the the director, um, what's her name? I forgot who. I think it's a black director. Oh, that's what's hurting is like, I, I kind of knew this movie's going, and it's funny. So it's somebody I was talking to. And this guy who was white. I'm excited for this movie. And I, I said, you would be. <laughs> I was like, you would be. He's like, you're not. I was like, no, I'm not excited for this. I don't have to know Harriet movie. I, I, you could have gave me a, a Harriet fight vampires movie. And I'd be more excited about that. Okay, now that would have been cool. There, in fact, there is a comic called uh, Harriet Demon Slayer or something like that. Um, Google it, y'all. Uh, but I would have been more into something like that. Play with, you know, play with the history, but uh, you don't give me something slavery. Give me some fantasy. Too. Right. So what else do we have? Well, we got some video game stuff. So let's talk about some video game stuff. So BlizzCon is going on right now, and Blizzard, uh, they opened their uh, weekend with an apology from the president, Jay Allen uh, Brack. Mm-hmm. So he, in this vague-ass apology, <laughs> he was like, uh, let me see what he said, because it was some fuckery to me. Now, they Blizzard was in the news for what they did to um, that Heath, that Hearthstone uh, player, they basically took all of his winnings and then suspended him for a, some amount of time. And then when, when everybody started boycotting, they were like, oh, um, our bad. And they actually, they also reduced his prize winnings. And so let me read his uh, statement. He said, uh, we moved too quickly in our decision-making and then to make matters worse, we were slow to, we were too slow to talk to all of you. When I think about what I'm most unhappy about, it's mostly two things. First, we didn't live up to the high standards we set up for ourselves. The second is that we failed in our purpose. For that, I'm sorry and I accept accountability. Okay, well, that's all nice. And I know those are words. And they all sound cute, but there's not any change as far as reinstating this player. And also, Blizzard is still, like, people are still boycotting Blizzard because of what's happening in Hong Kong. And a lot of people, and that's another thing, 
I'm, I'm gonna get to later that um I'm just the apology was for me weak, and if there's no thing to back it up, then you're just talking out your ass. And we'll see what Blizzard does, but I highly doubt that they won't reverse or they won't not take that suspension away from that player or give him back his prize winnings. Um, I highly doubt that will happen. Now, also, uh, as far as Blizzard news, Overwatch 2 was announced. And they set this whole eight-minute long um, cinematic trailer that had uh, Winston, Tracer, and May going to Paris. And uh, the robots or the holes, I think they were holes, now you pronounce it, had taken over Paris. And they were the only ones, the original Overwatch uh, team had disbanded. And so everybody was trying to get them together and May got injured. Winston's about to do this big sacrifice when this huge uh, robot came barreling down the, uh, the road. And then when you know it, Genji, Mercy, Reinhardt, Brigitte, and a new uh, character, uh, Echo, came and saved the day. And so with uh, Overwatch 2, um, new PvE and PvP, PVP modes are announced, as well as it looks like um, they'll be combining ults. So uh, in the movie, uh, Brigitte and Reinhardt combine their shield to make a big-ass shield. Uh, there's actually going to be a story mode, and along with those story missions, you'll be able to level up your uh, character's abilities. It should be interesting. Um, also, it is announced that the a new character sojourn which is a black female will be playable in this new um overwatch and a quick little thing about this because i've seen this all all day and it's kind of fucking irritating (laughs) it's okay to critique a game that doesn't have diversity or the diversity that you wanted to see, that's fine. But to throw away a whole entire game because it doesn't have A, B, or C, but it has D, E, and F is weird to me. Like, a lot of people were saying, oh, don't play Overwatch because it doesn't have a black female uh, playable character. Okay, then what about, what do you say about the Egyptian uh, character, the Egyptian players? or the Hispanic, or the LGBT, or the autistic, or, you know, don't say that you shouldn't play a game because it doesn't fit what you want. And tell others to not to play it. And also, people have been saying that, oh, uh, Blizzard doesn't care about diversity. Okay, if it doesn't care about diversity, where's all of that anger and that hostility when it comes to other games. I have only seen people go up in arms for so much about Overwatch when other games have playable black females. And once they do, nobody's talking about them. So 
it's okay to critique that one game, but make sure you have that other critique for other games. Or if those other games have what you want, why don't you big them up and say, hey, instead of, if that's not what you want, then here's a game that does have what you want. Like, it's very, it's so weird when it comes to people talking about diversity in Overwatch, because there is diversity in Overwatch. It's just not all the way what you want. And it's never going to be what you want. So if it's not what you want now, then go to a game that has it. It's, it irritates the shit out of me sometimes. And it's a lot of the people that have been complaining about it. They don't even play it. <laughs> like, it's like, okay, girl, but do you even have a game system? I, I, I'm a, my rant is done. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> It's, uh, I feel like this is it's interesting because I feel like that it's a change coming within this world, in this genre, not really genre, but in this world. And are people ready for it? Mm. No. <laughs> but they so, better get ready. No, it's so funny sometimes to think about how people want to whiten or keep the whiteness of a fantasy world. I mean... Or, you know, the situation like these are not even or things are not even human. They want that to be white. You know what I mean? Like it's like think about from robots to fairies to dragons to all the things. It has to be white. It has to the rider of the dragon has to be white. One of the orchestrating the robots have to be white. Um so much of it has to be white. So it's very, it's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, I'm just like, if it, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> oh, goodness. The race, well, I won't say the race, but the diversity fight of video games will probably be always on. And that's good. Like, the outer world, um, I haven't played it. It recently came out. There's an asexual Somebody was telling me it's an asexual black woman on there who likes women. Mm-hmm. Nobody said anything about it. There's other games that uh, Blizzard has made that actually have black women in it, but nobody either the talk about it is low or non-existent to public. And so, if it's there and if you're playing it, tell somebody else. Don't say that, oh, Blizzard doesn't care about diversity or Blizzard doesn't like a black woman. Yeah. I don't... It's, <laughs> niggas are going to be mad regardless. They're going to be mad because they, they think Blizzard took too long. They're going to be mad because it should have already been in there. They're going to be mad because they have to wait. They're going to be mad, period. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah, it's like, yeah... Either too white or we don't. Not, I don't know. It's too much. It's too much of like we don't. Yeah, it's this. But then here are these characters. They already there. There's some people there. Uplift them. Put them out there. Push them. Right. But who knows? 
people, humans yes. are weird. <laughs> um, I guess the last bit of stuff to talk about is, you know, our favorite Todrick Hall. Who's favorite? <laughs> that one. <laughs> Who's favorite? It's somebody, well, white gays, but you know, they love some Todrick Hall. Girl, they go up for her. And yeah. I don't understand. You know, I'm going to give Todrick the fact, he is creative. Yes. Creative. Uh, interesting. I I will give him those those roles. He he's talented. Yes. He's talented. Um now if you're unfamiliar for what we're talking about, the accusi- there was accusations that Todrick had uh never paid any uh people, whether it be dancers, uh songwriters, actors, any of their work. Um and there was one in particular, I believe his name was Tommy. Mm-hmm. Tommy um, was talking about, uh, he was his, uh, Todrick's former uh, personal assistant. And all of this uh, allegations as far as uh, anti-Black uh, statements that he said, uh, refusing to pay people, sexual harassment um, has been coming out. And Tommy had the proof for it as well. And then once Tommy started uh, telling all of his stories, then I saw a, um, a thread from a dancer that didn't get money that she was owed. And I think there was either a, a mom whose child was in a, a Todrick Hall video and that he never got paid. So we just scamming. Everybody, we just not paying nobody. <laughs> it's like you bitches are just gonna work for free. You gonna work for a happy meal and a hug. Yeah, yeah. Now, now I knew Todrick was a uh, he. He caters to the white, the white guys. Mm-hmm. Let's let's not even kid around because there was um. When I was I uh, read through um, Tommy's allegations, I think he said there was few some black guys in this one particular video that Todrick was doing, and he's like, "Oh, it's too black," or something to the effect that like that, mm-hmm. and pushed them to the back. I'm not surprised that Todrick is this shifty. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, I saw that. Um, and it's tricky because I know some people, they start coming for Tommy because Tommy has an OnlyFans account. They're trying to come for him because he's, you know, showing his dick and everything. And I'm like, well, that's not the reason to come for him. He can show his dick wherever he wants to do. If he, if he let him do what he needs to do. It was odd, though. I, I was like, oh, so you just... You're promoting, you're getting promotion mm-hmm. for your OnlyFans page through this, which, yeah. you know, whatever by whatever means necessary, you know, because the bills are, are still going to be here. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's going to still happen. But it, I understood the fishiness of it, though. 
Because I was like, yeah, I see why people will say what they're saying. And I know that's not what he wanted. And I, and again, we're, we're not tearing him down. We're not tearing down sex work at all. But it's more of like, I, the, I, if, if he had a, a good friend in his corner, they would have been like, okay, talk about Todrick. But let's not mix in your, don't do that because people will begin to question your credibility. The thing that you want to do is make sure you can pull all that stuff out and, you know, wait a couple of weeks and then get your little, you know, start, you know, getting people to look into your OnlyFans, you know. I mean, he's cute. And, you know, from what I see, he got stuff to show. But, right. He's a good looking guy. But I was like, be mindful of as you do this, people are going to question. So, uh, but that doesn't take away from, Todrick and Todrick, I think, has been going down this interesting spiral. I think hopefully what he should be doing is really taking a hard look at himself, what he's doing. Pay these people. Was it on what's her name? Milan? I can't remember her name from Drag- Christopher Milan. No, no, no. Um, and oh, in the second season, her partner, the partner died. Oh, um, uh, not uh, Sahara, but uh, oh my God, uh, Manila. Yeah, was it was it her that talked about that? Mentioned that or somebody? Oh yeah, she, she didn't get paid. And I was like, oh well, you can't. Well, that's hard when you got that's a because you can doubt Tommy, but that's you know what you call it is a name, and right? People know who she is, and I'm like, if she's saying something, and I don't think it was anything been like being catty with him or whatever. She's like, well, you didn't pay me, but <laughs> it's just a matter of fact. Yeah. Like, well, you can do this whole song and dance, but the fact of the matter is you agreed to something. Well, we both had a verbal agreement that you would pay me, whether it's verbal or written, whatever. But you didn't pay me, and now I'm having to say my two cents that yes i was one of those people i I am also a person that did this work for free and Todrick's making money because you know this stuff is getting monetized on youtube and all that stuff so i'm like can you can you drop some coins and do a a, a payover like let me prepay i mean y'all and (laughs) Like, let me give you 30% more. And let's do something. Shoot. Right. Anything out of it, but do something. Because these, when all this stuff is happening, you can't sit here and go, they just, you can't sit here and go, they just want to be heard or seen. You have to look at that to a point. It's like, okay, well, something's happening. So we got to get this stuff fixed. Um, we, I don't want Todrick to fail. I want him to grow. I want him to grow and to become aware of his blackness, which he but I understand how this industry work with blackness and also understand how his blackness is uh, uh, is power and also a deficit and he needs to understand all of that and I and no shade he ain't gonna get that from RuPaul so hopefully some this gonna sound ugly a real black queer really gets behind his corner and be like girl uh-huh let let's get this stuff together because you need to remi- be reminded of who you are in this, in all of this, your power base. And it's funny because you know, it, it, it you know we've talked about this before. It's something about 
when black queers get to power, there is a, a breakdown somewhere, a disconnect. There is something to where the whiteness has become the umbrella. You know, just it just keeps the it's it the, it's just keeping all the reality from hitting, and it it just does something. It does something that I I I don't know what that is. You know, I think about the people we've we've seen, we talked about Karamo, for example, all that type of stuff. He still who still can't find the he still can't shut the fuck up. Yeah, he's still out here defending Sean Spicer. I'm like, you. Part of me was like, you saw that didn't go well the first time. For you to come back and to double down on it, it that's why I'm thinking, what is it? It makes me <laughs> makes me wonder, like, Laura, is dating a white man? You know, it's like is dating a white man or being in that. It's like the evasion of body snatchers. Like once you get shit, <laughs> <laughs> once you get some white dick, all of a sudden you <laughs> somebody else. <laughs> I don't. Now, y'all, y'all know my my man's white. I don't know. I could not see myself say all of a sudden that um like my I don't know how to explain it, but I can't give up my blackness just because who I date. We ain't got no choice. I mean we we can't give it up because the side ain't gonna let us let us it's like a right. <laughs> like I don't I don't get how some black guys, some black black gay guys once they get around that whiteness and they see what it has to offer, all of a sudden, like, like they get blinded by it. Mm-hmm. And I understand it, but Lord, it once you are blinded by it, it's a hell of a job getting out of it. It is. And that's, that's another subject for another time because, whew, and you're right, it is. Because once, you know, for a lot of us, a lot of us come into the gay world through whiteness. Um, and then we don't realize that we're in, we're in the dragnet of it until it's like, wait a minute. Why am I questioning people? You know, why am I questioning their experiences? Well, that's my experience too. Or it, it's kind of interesting to, when it hits you, when you realize like, wait a minute. Um, I think for I, I, I think I said it here before. I think when I moved to um, Statesboro, Georgia, and I was working there, and I was working with predominantly black group of people, it really began to hit me back in the in the late '90s that I was like, "Wait a minute! I really need to understand my blackness a whole lot more than what I have." Because a lot of the things that I gained in college at Murray State um, was due to to pieces of whiteness or good chunks of whiteness. Even though I was in a lot of, you know, I was vice president of Black Student Council, doing a lot of things for Black students and all that stuff, it hit me that my gaze was based from whiteness. And I had to really begin that journey of breaking that apart. And it's not easy at all. It is not easy. You know, if you didn't grow up in Atlanta or places where, or Detroit, where we are just all over the place, it's not that easy. It's really not. I mean, don't let don't don't let people fool you. It's not as simple as you think. Right. Those embedded things that once it's like 
you thought you scratched a scab, but honey, there's still stuff under that. And it's a lot. So you're right. This is a, a topic for another time, but it's more of like, I hope someone really works with Todrick and get him to get out of his own way. Understand that, yes, Taylor Swift may be a friend. He's not going to save you when it comes down to the wire. Mm-hmm. It's, not. it's usually us. And if you get in good with us, we are with you to the end of the day. We are with right. you. Janet Jackson. Think about it. We have stand, we will stand, Black Gays will stand for Janet Jackson the day she dies. Just we'll do it. Even though she um did something with B Man, we still <laughs> stand by her to the end of the day. If you do us right, that's all he needs to realize. If you do us right, we will stand with you and defend you. But you need to understand who you are and where you where you where you are in this game. That's all I'm saying. Right. Well, yeah, that was a lot. Do we have anything else? Because my tea, my teacup is empty. Well, we are, we are, we're good. We are ready to move along. But yep, that was amazing tea for you. <laughs> right, and we're going to take a quick little break, and when we be back, we will have an interview with a very special guest. All right, and we are back. Thank you so much for sticking with us on this always uh, awesome episode of Mega Sheen. And we are joined by a very special guest. He is an Olympian swimmer from, I believe, Toga. Tonga. Tonga. I always get that confused. Uh, welcome, <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the podcast, Mr. Amini Fanua. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. It's It has been a struggle to get you on. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. I just have to start off the, the podcast with an apology. We were supposed to do this end of August, and then I went to Japan for a month. But I'm finally glad that we got to reschedule. Yes, I had to. As soon as he's like, oh, I'm free, I was like, okay. I'll, I'm I'm free any day, any day. Just pick one. <laughs> Get him, yeah. <laughs> so let's go ahead and jump in. Um, everyone knows that you are an Olympian. You're a swimmer. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you get involved in the sport of swimming? Well, my dad bought a boat when I was about seven years old, and it wasn't like a glamorous yacht or anything. It was like a little dinghy, and it was called Delgado. And my mom was like, there's, you know, my dad's Tongan. So that's how I get to swim for Tonga. And my mom's English. So my mom being very protective of us was like, you have to learn how to swim before you get on that boat. So I took swimming lessons maybe when I started off when I was seven, but my concentration was so bad that my mom was like, get him out of those classes because it was just a waste of money. (laughs) I was literally like, doing handstands on the bottom of the pool um, while the classes were happening. (laughs) I was kind of, yeah, I was away with the fairies, if you will. Who knew I'd actually become a fairy? (laughs) But yeah, it was just kind of because we got a a small fishing boat and my mom, being very protective, wanted us to learn how to swim. So that was how I first got into the sport. Awesome. Uh, Now, prior to being in the Olympics, uh, did you consider 
that you that being competing at that level was even a possibility or were you did you aspire to compete at the Olympics or was it just something that just that just happened? Um, I think I kind of always knew I always knew that if I could get real good, I'd be able to go. And it was definitely always like a goal. Um, but yeah, I, 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 it was something that I worked towards. My first goal was coming to the U.S. and like getting a swimming scholarship. That was like number one. If I could get like, if I could squeeze an education out of my sport, then I would have been really happy. But then, I don't know, I just made the sacrifices my senior year of college, and I guess they all paid off. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't anything that kind of fell into my lap. I don't know how many Olympians kind of fall their way. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a goal. And it was like, you know, if I didn't achieve it, I would have been really happy that I at least got to get an education out of it. But the fact that it happened was, yeah, it was a dream come true. Awesome. Hey, you went to Texas A&M. Correct. Yes. Right. Uh, let's see. I know Texas A&M for their track and field program because um, I ran back in, you know, high school and a little bit in college. So okay, I didn't know that they had such a, a robust um, swimming program. So it's nice to know that. Uh, yeah, the track, the track team is baller. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah i mean when i was there they won like men and women's national championships like back to back to back i think they three-peated and that was amazing to see um the women's team the women's swim team was great i think they were always within like the top four we always tried to crack top 10 but we sit at around maybe 13th but it's a big sports school like mm-hmm. they just okay. worship sports down there in texas Oh yeah, especially those those uh schools down in Texas with it, if it's Baylor, if it's uh University of Texas, mm-hmm. sports is like number one. Yeah. So you competed in the twenty twelve and the twenty sixteen Olympics. How was your experience in uh both those uh I guess Olympiads? Uh so different. So different. <laughs> I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed to go to two. Hopefully I get to go to three, but you really see like the country's culture come into play when they host an Olympic games, because I guess when I went to London, you know, everything was so tightly organized and I don't know, like the Brits can kind of be very jaded, Uh you know, so they weren't very, they weren't all that excited for us to be in town. I don't know why, but they just kind of thought we were a nuisance. And everything was really amazingly organized. Um, like every single volunteer, you ask them a question, they would know everything. Like they had a thick handbook that they had to memorize, like the back of their hand, before they could even get on to like volunteering and doing work. Whereas Brazil, oh my gosh, the opposite. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> yeah, like I, God bless Brazil. I do love, but like they were. I mean, it was, it was historic because it was the first ever Olympics to be held in South America. Mm-hmm. And, and they were just like unprepared, like literally working. Like I arrived in the village and was walking, like swimming in the pool and they were still 
like working on the stands, like oh, maybe God. three or four days. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's just kind of their culture a little bit is they kind of procrastinate a lot. Like things get done, but they are definitely big on the procrastination, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But I think, yeah, they just, they're very culturally different. And you can see, like, I always thought when I got to Brazil, like, oh, everything's going to be the same as London because it's, an organizing committee, it's the International Olympic Committee, like the IOC's the same, they have the same people, but not at all. Like, as soon as I got off the plane in Brazil, I was like, oh, wow, this is not going to be the same as London at all. Um, Mm. But I would say that Brazil was a lot more fun. Um, I don't know why. I think... (laughs) I don't know why. I think South Americans, like... They just know how to have a good time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and they know how to party. And like the beach was right there. And I'm a huge beach boy. So that was just like better suited for like my sensibility. But yeah, different levels of organization. London was very organized and like Brazil, not so much. Um, if you ask a Brazilian volunteer a question that was out of their scope of work, they would not know the answer. And I think that drove a lot of like athletes to feel quite frustrated, right. but yeah, both very different. Um, I am looking forward to how Tokyo does it. I think that they will be like very much on top of everything. Well, yeah, that leads to my other question. Uh, have you started begun with well, Tokyo basically here before we know it? Have you started training mm-hmm. for it? Have you, uh, are you starting mentally prepared for it? Yes. Yeah. It all starts. I mean, I, uh, I just actually got back from practice today. It's, it's tough, but yeah, I'm definitely training, definitely mentally preparing for it. Um, I have some swimming competitions coming up and I'm just very blessed because, you know, I get to train at a pool that's very nice. I get a nice, you know, access to nice gyms and and resources. Mm -hmm. But yeah, definitely preparing now. I mean, you for swimming, you need as much time as possible before the competition. And it, I think it's next July. So yeah, it all starts now. <laughs> so how can you walk us through, especially when there's uh, when it's competition season or if it's a, a, a year of an Olympics, what would be a day of training for a meeting? Um, well, oh gosh. <laughs> I, oh, it's a lot. So I wake, I wake, I wake up and um, I work two jobs at the moment. So it's kind of rough going. Um, I wake up, go to Starbucks for like seven or eight hours because, you know, that's my, that's my job. That's what has healthcare and right. um, it's as flexible hours. It's just really difficult doing a full-time sport and a job at the same time. But um, ideally I wake up, do my work, get done around noon. And then I go straight from there into the city. And then I lift weights for about an hour and then I swim for anywhere between an hour and an hour and a half. And then after that, I got another coaching gig. So I'm always hustling, always bustling. Um, 
And then once that's done, I get home, eat, sleep. And that's kind of the routine five days a week. And then Saturday, I usually take off. Mm-hmm. And then Sundays, I work. Um, it's a hospitality job, so everyone has to work at least one day of the weekend. And, um, you know, the, the inner Christian in me kind of dies because I have to work on a Sunday, but I'd much <laughs> rather have Saturday. I'd much rather go out Friday night, recover Saturday, and then, you know, start my week on Sunday. Right. Yeah, but it's about two and a half hours every day. And then maybe once I'm really in shape, I'll up it to three. So it'll be an hour of lifting and then two hours of swimming. Mm-hmm. And okay. that is six days a week. Yeah. So during the, the 2016 Rio Games, uh, mm-hmm. an outlet, uh, Daily Beast, ran an article outing, basically outing closeted athletes. And you were at the yeah. forefront of getting that article retracted. Tell us the importance yeah. of speaking up against that article and what um, what have you seen positive uh, because of speaking out of that article? Um. I think first, like my first thought when it all happened was, can I speak on this? Like, that's like the first thing, especially with kind of like allyship and advocacy. If something doesn't affect you directly, it's really hard to make a change or a difference. And I think, you know, being from a country where it's still illegal to be gay, I was like, oh, I do have kind of a sense of responsibility here because the country that I represent is one of those homophobic countries that if I was to be a person that wasn't out and outed, you know, I wouldn't be able to go back home and live my life the same again. Mm-hmm. So I think that was like the first step was like, can I speak on this? Cause it's kind of annoying when you see advocacy happen from people that are not relevant to that group. Does that make sense? Right. It like, does. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's almost like, you know, if you're a male advocating on behalf of feminism, I mean, like how many male feminists are remembered in history? Very few. You know, you, you really got to be a woman to have that microphone. So for me, that was the first step was like, can I speak out on this given the, like, you know, my history, where I'm from and what I'm doing? And I thought, yeah, I actually, I can. Um, because from where I am from, it's still illegal to be gay. It's not illegal to be lesbian. It's not illegal to be transgender, but it is illegal to be gay. And um, that was the first step. And then, I don't know, I just kind of had a very emotional response to it and um, got very angry very quickly and um, just felt like it was wildly inappropriate, first of all, that, you know, being an athlete you know, if you're a public figure, it's very different, I think. But when you're an athlete and you can have some semblance of privacy, it just felt like such a violation. You know, like we're here to compete at the highest level of our sport. And here are some people having to worry about whether they can even go home. Right. You know, if, whether it's safe to even go home type of thing. And um, I don't know. I, I always learned in media studies that it was like a big deal to get a story ret- retracted. And I, yeah, I'm sort of kind of proud <laughs> that we got that accomplished, I guess. But 
it's still really tough going at the moment. I think like every Olympics is going to get better, mm-hmm. but it, I think for me, it was like really literally like uh, getting the story retracted was huge, but also finding a way to have the gay community, like the queer community acknowledged by the international Olympic committee, because that's never happened before. They've right. never, yeah, so like that was historical in of itself that they came out, they condemned it, they stripped, you know, that journalist of his, um, you know, credentials, they booted him out of the village. So that was kind of huge because it showed like, oh, wow, we are welcome here. And I think sometimes being a minority and being from a small country and then being gay on top of that, it can add you know, you can sometimes feel a little bit of an outsider or like an imposter or as if you don't really belong there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, finally having the IOC recognize our community, I think that was like probably the biggest thing and the greatest thing to come out of the entire experience. And I just look forward to Tokyo because I think there are only going to be more out athletes as we go forward. And I think, the progression of human rights through sports is, you know, kind of amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I do remember that article running and I believe the journalist, he was straight in doing, he, mm-hmm. getting on these, uh, yeah. those apps. And I was like, who gave you that audacity to like, right. It was so fucked up. It was, ugh, yeah. Ugh. <laughs> Yes, that's the right word. It was it was like you're not a part of this community and it just felt really exploitive, you know, like you're a vulture coming in here, like a culture vulture, something that's got nothing to do with you. Right. And you're you're just kind of preying on it. And I get it, like everyone thinks that, you know, sex in the Olympic village is some like huge hot thing. I can tell you what it's not. It's not nearly as sexy <laughs> as they all make it out to be. Everybody's got a roommate. Everybody's got like staff on their floor. It's, I don't know. I guess as you get older, you kind of just expect a little bit more from those types of experiences. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I like a, a little bit of mood lighting and music and like wide <laughs> as I've gotten older, you know, and that just is like not happening at the Olympic Village. And it's very like scheduled and that's never sexy. It's never sexy to have scheduled sex. Like, right. no. <laughs> yeah. So it's like it, the reality, like most things, is very different from the fantasy. The only thing that's hot about it is probably the bodies, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so how open is the sport of swimming to queer athletes? Um, pretty open, I would say. Uh, there aren't a lot of us around, um, but there are a lot of coaches, which I find very interesting. Um, you know, there are some of the top coaches of all time have been family but I think they just don't, I don't know if they don't find it relevant or they don't think that it's important. Um, oh gosh, there's just so much gossip, but I don't want to like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to out anybody or, but there is just like a lot of open secrets. Let's put it that way. There's a lot of open secrets and there are a lot of people that are part of the community, but 
maybe just don't feel compelled or don't feel brave enough to come out. Mm. Um, but there are, yeah, it's just interesting. If you follow kind of media stories of, of things, um, they would never ever say it, but there are, there are a few, there are a lot more than we know or that are public. And that's the thing that's kind of tough is, you know, there are a lot of gay athletes, queer athletes at the Olympics, but not all of them are out. And I find that kind of really strange. Um, at least they're out, but they are not necessarily out publicly. If that makes any sense. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is a real shame because there are still a lot of kids and a lot of people out there that could benefit from seeing role models. You know, I think really think that there's a power in presence and when people aren't out publicly, it kind of robs people of that presence. Right. So I would encourage them to, you know, live and, and speak in their truth and, and, and all of those things. But it's, I mean, there is a big gay community and there's a big, you know, lesbian sort of queer community in swimming, but whether they choose to be out or not is, you know, it's up to them. And a lot of them are not. Yeah. A lot of them are not, which is a really unfortunate fact. Um, but I'm very optimistic that it's only going to get better. Yeah. I I hope it gets better. Um, if not for us, for, you know, the generations that are behind us. Absolutely. It, it really is. And I, it's really strange. I don't know how you were, um, growing up, but I remember just spending hours upon hours of time, like on like Wikipedia, just looking up gay folk, you know, like just anybody, whether they were an actor or a poet or an athlete or anything. And I don't know, it's not until you get a little bit older that you start to realize how important it is to have role models. Mm-hmm. Well, I know for me, when I was growing up, I was so far back in the closet, you know, mm-hmm. I was finding Christmas presents. Um, <laughs> like, I knew I was gay, but <laughs> it was like, eh, I don't know. And then, you know, there was, when I, I think maybe back in college, when I met my uh, a boyfriend, um, mm-hmm. he was already out. So... Yeah. It was like, oh, so if he's out, then that that must mean that Nick is gay. So it kind of just a situation that I was, I wasn't pulled out, but gently pushed, Mm -hmm. you could say. And so now it's just like, I went through all that time just to be in the closet. I'm like, what for? But, you know, some people can't, um, given, you know, extenuating circumstances or whatnot, but. Yeah, that was that was a time, and now I'm like I can't fathom being back in the closet. Right. Once you're out, you're out. Exactly. Yeah, it's a delicate thing, and I think I've learned to be respectful of people's choices, even if I don't agree. Um, 
I just have to respect that I'm, you know, everyone's process is different mm-hmm. and it is ongoing. You know, sometimes, you know, even for me, like, even like, how, you know, when did you start telling people? I was like, mm, young, high school, 16. And then, but my dad didn't know until I was 23, right? So there's like seven years of, partially being out but not really being out but still having a boyfriend but not having my parents know about him like so it's just it's a process and I just have to yeah every time I have to keep transporting myself back to that point of where I was when you know people ask me are you gay and your palms start to sweat and your heart beats fast and Yeah, you know, and I'm like, okay, that's some people are still there, and I have to respect that that's where they're at. Um, right, yeah, and sometimes you have to, even like if you're working in a new, if you go to a new job, you have to come out again. So it's it's yeah. like a lifelong process sometimes of coming. It out. is. It totally is lifelong. You you know, it's weird. It's it's almost comical, right? Like starting a new job and you're like yes my partner <laughs> yeah and then, and then they're like oh you're what i'm like oh, really doing this song and dance yes yes partner boyfriend what do you want to say gay <laughs> and then they say oh well such and such is gay like all gay people know each other you know like, like. right right <laughs> do you know my do you know my gay friend kyle Oh, right, yeah, like he's from Kansas. He's from Kansas. Like, <laughs> no, I don't. We're not all like. Oh, yeah, they, yeah, it's interesting. But I mean, do you? I mean, not to turn the tables and ask you a question, but I mean, do you feel like it's getting better in places like Kentucky? Um, let's see. Where I live in Kentucky, it is very gay friendly. Um, okay. it's. I would say it's getting better. Um, I can walk. Now, there's times where I am hesitant to, like, hold my boyfriend's hand in public. Um, Mm -hmm. Not because I'm scared of, you know, people saying something. I'm scared that I am going to do something to them. So it's that (laughs) that kind of uh, aversion to it. But, you know, we... um, there's times where they have the Fourth uh, of July parade downtown. Um, a lot mm-hmm. of the uh, LGBT uh, charities here, they'll walk in mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, they always have a a pride festival in June, and it's it got so big that this past year uh, it was two days, and they block off a wow. whole section of downtown just for the parade and it's family friendly and you know all of that mm-hmm. jazz so it's getting better now i can't speak to eastern kentucky where it's very rural but right there are um fairness ordinances in place where i mean you can't be fired or you know something of that sort for being queer Mm-hmm. And still, obviously, there's a lot of work to do here, but right. there are definite strides in Kentucky to make it more gay-friendly, not just in the bigger cities, but, you know, everywhere else. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm very happy to hear that. 
I'm, I'm proud yeah. of Kentucky in that, that aspect. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, but being from a place like in the South where yeah, I feel very defensive of Texas sometimes. Uh-huh. And and people will get very critical, and I'm like, listen, the politics whack. Don't don't follow state politics. Like, go there and and like, I don't know, be yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's quite amazing how many people's perspectives and and minds you can change about something until you know they're able to see the real you, right? Kind of thing, yeah. Um, but no, I love the South. I love a Southern gentleman. I love Southern <laughs> mannerisms. I love the bless your heart. <laughs> <laughs> that could be, mean I, so many things. <laughs> that could mean so absolutely. But I, yeah, I miss that part of people just being friendly mm-hmm. on kind of um, just that face value. I miss right. that a lot about the South. Yeah. The South does have its uh its perks. I'll I'll say mm-hmm. I'll get I'll give it that. Um and sometimes it's just uh, a crock of shit, but you know. <laughs> Yeah, it really is one of those pros and cons, right? Right. But you have yeah. that, you know, in the bigger cities up north, so it's and give oh, or take yeah. everywhere else. Oh, a hundred percent, yes. I mean, I smile at people on the subway and they don't smile back. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm in the East Coast. That's right. We don't do that here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've I've heard stories about uh, Southern people going to New York and being so caught off guard by their, um, I wouldn't, they would say it's rudeness, but, you know, I don't smile to people on the street. Like, I don't know you. But I I will hold the door, but I won't smile to you. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's funny when you're South, when you're from the South, it's like, I don't know. We have this thing in Texas A&M where people, we don't boo the opposing team. We hiss. Uh Like, (laughs) and it's like, you know, I may be Southern, but I am not trash. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And there is a difference. I have morals. <laughs> yeah. So I have banners. In, exactly. And so in addition to swimming, you're a huge advocate for LGBTQ rights. What projects mm-hmm. and or groups have you worked with and what projects and groups are you going to work with in the future? Um, well, I've just connected with uh, Ashley, uh, Ashley Ally. And... Uh, they're a nonprofit organization that works towards promoting um, gay friendliness in sports. Because I think oftentimes a lot of queers shy away from sports because we feel as though it's something that's just not a part of what we want to be involved with. So, you know, all that toxic masculinity, all of that just kind of awful stuff. So it just works it's an organization that works towards having um the lgbtq community feel more welcome within sports and i like that i mean i i don't know i just i 
I think sports are so universal, which is, is, is strange. Like we watch movies and we have art and stuff, but sports, like, you know, no other thing can you do with a person all the way across the world that has no cultural sameness to you, like no language, no nothing, but you play a game, right? Like a tennis player that's Chinese versus a Mexican tennis player are going to play the same game, even if they don't know anything cultural or anything similar. Like, so it's, it's kind of like, I guess the beauty of the universality of sports, but we've also felt very ostracized from those types of communities. So it's going in and working with high schoolers and having them kind of recognize just that, you know, they shouldn't be removing the kind of bullying aspect and component of sports and kind of celebrating diversity and inclusion within the sporting arena, um, which is something that I feel very passionate about, just being a sports person myself. You know, I, if I'd felt, you know, I was very lucky. A lot of the sports teams I was in, I felt welcomed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I understand and I recognize that that's not always necessarily the case for most people like me. So it's just, you know, going in and workshopping and working with, young kids and socializing them and conditioning them to be a lot more welcoming and inclusive um, of sports. But I also do a little bit of work with the LTA, which is, I'm sorry, TLA, which is the Tongan Ladies Association. Um, Just after everything that had transpired in Rio, I moved back to Tonga and got involved with that organization that's trying to progress human rights in the Pacific and just get a lot of like very antiquated and old laws repealed, especially, you know, the anti-sodomy laws that a lot of these countries still have. Mm-hmm. Um, so so um, I sat on a con- government consultation where a lot of um, Tongan queers got to have a consultation with sort of government leaders and government members to see how we could progress uh, gay rights. So those are the two ones right now that I'm sort of involved with. And I've kind of reached out to the Trevor Project as well. Um, but that's still very early days. I just think like whatever, you know, we're at our best when we're collective and, and with numbers. So yeah, LA Athlete, the Tongan Late Deeds Association and then uh, the Trevor Project are probably the, the three big things that I'm putting my sort of effort towards now. That's great. I know um, some of the charities here have worked with the, the Trevor Project. Um, mm-hmm. So they do a lot of great work. Yeah. Mental health is really important. It's so important. And um, yeah, unfortunately, Pacific Islanders, the people that I'm a part of, you know, have suicide rates exponentially higher than, um, you know, the rest of minority groups. And a lot of that comes from growing up with, you know, conversion therapy and just like really destructive things. Like, you know, unfortunately, oh, I shouldn't say that, but, you know, Mormonism is like the biggest religion in Tonga. So, you know, a lot of kids don't, feel welcome or they don't feel like they can truly be themselves and 
the only choice they really think they have is, you know, suicide. And that's really sad and unfortunate, but that's definitely like the next steps now is destigmatizing mental health in the mm-hmm. Pacific. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're not swimming or working, how do you relax? Do you uh, pick out on reality TV? Do you play video games? <laughs> because this is a, a, a geek podcast as well. What do yeah. you geek out about? Oh my gosh. I'm at the mo- it changes. Right now I'm really into Wendy Williams. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> i know i know it's terrible but like i think just all the memes on twitter have got me like <laughs> just on a real wendy williams kick um especially now that she's divorced her awful husband and finally. like when i <laughs> finally right um the whole hot girl summer thing i don't think of megan the stallion when i think of hot girl summer i think of wendy williams <laughs> <laughs> so i i love her i love her commentary i think she's really funny obviously i don't agree with everything she says um but i like that i i used to watch a lot of bravo but it's just become a lot of it's become a bit too much for me lately mm, yeah um Obviously, Real Housewives of Atlanta is like the tea for me. Um, I enjoy Real Housewives of New York too. Those are probably the two that I watch the most. Um, but yeah, those are probably like my big thing. I'm so basic. I feel like those are like the most basic. <laughs> <laughs> the most basic. But I, I have never watched any of the Real Housewives like seasons. I like I know of them, right? But I was just like, oh, that is that is too much. That is too much. What do you watch? Uh, well, back in the day, I did watch Bad Girls Club. Oh, um, okay. But then it just got to. I was like. It got to the point where somehow my dentist, I think my boyfriend told my dentist that I was watching Bad Girls Club. And then my dentist yeah. called me out and I was like, okay, so maybe I should have some uh, reflection as <laughs> <laughs> uh, my life choices. Um, so I stopped watching that. Uh, I usually, I'm a sucker for video games. I've been playing video games for like forever. What's your games um, of choice? Oh, gosh. Um... Games of choice. I do like action adventure. Um, okay. I do like uh, immersion, like RPGs and whatnot. Um, okay. Right now, I'm doing uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, and I have like mm, about a hundred hours in that game. Okay. Ah, uh, and I just it doesn't. Well, it helps that I like ancient uh, history too. So. Right. Video games and ancient history, you know, sign me up. <laughs> I love that. I think the it's sort of ancient history. I used to love playing Civilization. I remember that, yes. That stuff like that and like Age of Empire and all those like old ones. I I'm not a big gamer anymore, but I I understand it. I get it. You can just like lose yourself and then you're playing and you blink and you're like oh my god three hours went by 
Right. And how, like, did I, how did I? <laughs> <laughs> like, I, know, I was supposed to clean up something. And you're like, oh, well, there goes that. <laughs> or you're like, eat. You're like, oh, wait, I'm actually kind of hungry. That's weird. Uh, right. Today. <laughs> <laughs> I was even nerdy. I used to play The Sims in college. Oh, my gosh. When I was training for the Olympics, actually, when I was training Mm -hmm. for the Olympics, like, in 2012, I was like, everyone knew to call me out for a sober driver, because I would just be at home playing The Sims, and get a call at, like, 2 a.m. when the clubs close, like, can you come pick us up? Like, (laughs) yeah, one minute, I just, my Sims about to get promoted, I, uh, stay a minute. Yeah, the Sims. The Sims were heavy uh, when we were growing up. Um, my sister, uh, my younger sister, loved the Sims, uh, mm-hmm. and their crazy ass language. I was like, "Oh my god, it's <laughs> <laughs> it's really something else." Yeah, it is. Yeah. It, it's the Sims is very much an outlook on yourself, how you would want your 100%. life to be. One hundred percent. Yes. I agree with you. Because then people would tell me, like, yeah, I'd create my enemies and then I would make them drown in the pool. Or, like, yeah, I'd create my enemies and then I'd set the house on fire. And I was like, okay, that's like definitely not what I do. Right. <laughs> like, you might need to speak to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> you may need to speak to somebody or watch some bad girls club to get it out of your system. Exactly. Know what's going on. <laughs> do some boxing, just run or, you know, sleep it off. Yeah, no social interaction when you're that age should like have you be killing imaginary people on a computer game. Like, no. <laughs> yeah, not with Sims. Now, if not they are dumbasses and just uh, kill themselves while they're boiling water on the stove, then I mean that's their <laughs> own fault. <laughs> True, I agree. But yeah, um, a lot of vi- we're video game heavy in this house. Um, yeah. And I do. We do like drag. Uh, now I'm, I'm partners. He's a, a drag queen um, down at a local club. So drag is very heavy. Uh, also mm-hmm. in this house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do love drag. I yeah, I enjoy drag race a lot. Um, every time, every time, I would say no. It's a lot. Monet has been. I was very, 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 very happy when Monet shared the crown with Trinity. Mm-hmm. Um, but before that, I was on my last, like, last tether. I was like, I can't handle... I think after Shangela and, like, All Stars happened, I was like, okay, you were skating on thin ice, Drag Race. I don't know if I can do this anymore. You're, like, playing too much with my emotions. That was bullshit. Oh, oh my God, that was bullshit. That oh. was some bullshit. <laughs> Like that was the the uh, the season where Benda Lacram she sent her cell phone. Yes, I was like Ugh. that was a that was whack. That was a <laughs> whack season because Benda Lacram was just like, I see what's going on here. I see this control that you guys have over us, the producers, all this, that, the other, and um, yeah, self eliminated. Which I always was like, I guess that's a that's a power move on of itself. Right, like kind of saying to them, you don't have control over me. Mm-hmm. Um, but just the whole, yeah, Shangela, 
Shangie. <laughs> My heart still breaks. But, you know, she's, she's out there, like, doing the most. Yeah, she was in... Um... Oh, a Star's oh Born. Yeah, Star's Born, and she was mm-hmm. walking the red carpet. So, I think she I mean, she went to the Academy Awards. Exactly. I mean, like she's she did a lot. Um, she's she's yeah. I think it's just I have oh. thoughts about Drag Race. Um, now we've been watching Drag Race from season one. And you can definitely tell, you know, once they got sponsors money and Mm -hmm. all of that jazz that it started getting heavily produced. Like, for example, um, season five, where they milked this uh, whole Alyssa Coco uh, drama drama for like the the damn near the entire season. I'm like, oh, my God, that could have been cleared up in like 30 minutes. Right. Pops. But, you know, the kids like Drag Race. Drag Race has its place and it's responsible for bringing female impersonation to the forefront. However, Mm -hmm. I feel that, and this is just, you know, my little opinion, that it gives some of the, the less known audience this notion that, oh, if you're not on Drag Race, then what are you doing with your drag? You know, and I know a right. lot. I know a lot of queens that don't have any kind of desire to be on Drag Race, but oh, one hundred percent successful. Yes, yeah, I agree with you. Um, there are so many queens that I know in New York that have no interest on like being on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I do. It just almost seems like a little bit of a formula now to winning. Um, I would say when Bianca won, I was like, okay, she's playing the game. Even Bob the Drag Queen, when she won, there was a game played. So I think it's very like easily readable and strategic on how the queens win. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree with you. I mean, I, I, I was brought into Drag Race season four. Like, mm-hmm. That was when it was popping off on all the blogs. And I was right. like, what is this? Who's Sharon Needles? Who's Willen? Like, what are they talking about? So just to feel like I was involved, I watched that whole, like, binge watched that whole season. And then, of course, I was like, okay, I've got to see two and three. And um, still haven't seen one. One is like a ghost or something. Like, you cannot get a hold of season one. Now, if you have Hulu, they do have season one on there. Ah, uh, Okay. I I need to subscribe to Hulu for a month then just to watch it because <laughs> I I I've heard so many jokes about the lighting. Oh my god! Like, the, <laughs> like just blurry. It's like it's a constant fog. It's a constant fog, like Vaseline on the lens. It's like, yes, it's very like it's very like Elizabeth Taylor White Diamonds commercial. You know exactly. <laughs> These have always brought me luck, head asses. Yes, it is very much that. <laughs> Yeah, and then season two was great. I mean, I I feel so. I mean, I don't feel sorry for Tyra Sanchez. I guess she's brought her upon herself, but she oh, this is so unpopular, and I'm going to get so much hate for this. But she might be my favorite winner. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just she's. 
I don't know. Watching that whole season, I'm like, she was just, she was, she was supposed to win. Um, Raven's great. Obviously, love Raven too. Tatiana, like, there was just so many great people from that season, but she was in it to win it. And you saw that from the start. And she just, I don't know, like, I think the way she dealt with things just really appealed to RuPaul's, like, Scorpio sensibility or something. Right. You know, when they did the the country looks, um, when mm. she did the three in one, I was like, okay, she's going to win. Yeah, that was it. I agree. Um, and you can kind of tell, like, with the exception of maybe season five, because I, Jinx Monsoon winning came out of nowhere to me. Mm-hmm. You could kind of tell who was the leader, if not a forerunner. Like in the uh, first episode of uh, season four, you saw Sharon Needles and we didn't see anything like that as far as her kind of drag on drag race. Right. You know, everybody was polished. Everybody was this right. whole pageant e look to it. Right. Mm-hmm. But then you come Sharon Needles with this macabre aesthetic. So right. you know, I, I appreciated that in that aspect. But Jinx mm-hmm. winning, I did not see that coming at all. That's funny. Yeah, Jinx was she was the underdog. What was she? Was, how do you just? I think I was thinking about the other day, and it's just so how like, iconic drag races that you'll think about in the middle of every day, like doing nothing. She's like, what she called herself, like, I am Seattle's premier narcoleptic Jewish queen. What am I? It was such a mouthful, but um, yeah, Jinx. Jinx was a great win. I mean, I loved Alaska. I loved Alaska, and I still love Alaska. I think, oh, it's hard. Who's your top three? Top three winners? No, of all time. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, okay. Of all time, I would say Bianca, because mm-hmm. I love a comedy queen. Yeah. Um, Nina Flowers. From yeah. uh, All Stars, the first All Stars and mm-hmm. the first uh, season. Yeah. And I would have to say, oh my God, this is hard. Um, Manila. Oh, yeah. That her, her whole aesthetic, how she can, like, I remember her, um, her B inspired look that was so mm-hmm. avant-garde and it looked like something Vivian Westwood would run in like a spring collection. Mm-hmm. Now see, yeah. ask me this question five minutes uh, later, my top three will probably change, but <laughs> this time it is <laughs> those three. It's mood based. Those. Yeah. It seems to me, it like, switches like the weather. Exactly. I, I just, what would my top three be? I would, I love Alaska. This one's very unpopular, but Nina Benina Brown. You know, I can see that. I, I can I can see that though. Yeah, she's just rebellious as hell. And like just her Instagram is gold to me. Um and then I don't who my third be? Mm, yeah, probably Bianca. I but that might be because I met Bianca and like when I met her, she was 
nothing but gracious and kind and nice and always, always, always like takes photos with fans, which I really mm-hmm. appreciate. I really appreciate that. I, yeah, that's, I don't understand why some of the girls don't do that. Like, you, we know you're tired. We know you're on this tour, but you know, these fans prop you up. And yeah, in a matter of moment, exactly. In a matter of moment, this whole career, this whole drag thing could be gone. And then you're 10, 15 years in the future saying, oh, seeing your shoulda, coulda, wouldas. So, right. I agree. I also, mm, I do love Laganja Estranja. Um, Only because she had such a terrible time with her season but what she's been able to do with herself since then has been pretty amazing yeah i am proud of her for that yeah getting sober and like finding a way to stay relevant because a lot of them they get on like as naomi campbell says about the modeling industry you know easy come easy go Mm -hmm. and she's like still managing to get book gigs and and get money from it and i think that's like sort of every drag queen's dream right now i know mm. um like some i'll i don't think she'll mind this but uh penetration from uh season well, I, th- I think it was season five yeah it was season yeah. five yeah first one to get kicked off so she went mm-hmm. back to uh her hometown and mm-hmm. has been doing doing the clubs up there Mm-hmm. Nice girl. She she really doesn't. She acknowledges that she was on Drag Race, but it's really not her selling point when it comes to her performing or the DJ announcing her because it's she's so involved with charity work, right? So it, it kind of some some girls, you know, they'll take the experience for what it is, but then they'll you know tuck it away and say, okay, that's done and I'm going, but I got something else going on. Right. I mean, they just keep talking about how they want to do like a season with all the winners, but I'm like, no, do a season with all the losers. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see Kelly Mantle back. I think Kelly Mantle is so funny. <laughs> I think she got robbed. I would like to see her back too. I would like to see her back. I'd like to see the bitter John Crawford come back and see, um, was her name John? No, John Crawford. It was something ridiculous. Um, oh, uh, are you talking about, um, did she have the, the nose that looked like a swordfish? Yes. Overly contoured nose and kind of bitter about being kicked off her season. Yes. And didn't even want to watch the season. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would just like to see a season of losers. Pork chop come back. mm -hmm. Um, obviously Vanjie's probably... No, she doesn't need to come back. She's got a lot. <laughs> yeah, she's got her. Maybe like the, the the first queens that were kicked off or, you know, first couple of queens that were kicked off do like, I don't know, a loser circle or something. Yeah, just just see what they've been able to develop, mm-hmm. you know, with, with, you know, with their time since Drag Race, I think would be very interesting to see which ones kind of gave up and which ones like, nah, this is my craft and my lifelong passion. Like I want to keep getting better. Right. That's the, like, that's a winner's mentality really. Yeah. At least I think. Yeah. So I have one final question for you because. Okay. If you weren't an Olympic swimmer, swimmer, 
because you see yourself in another sport or would you not compete competitively in any sports at all? Oh my gosh. Oh, I'm so competitive. I'm so competitive by nature that I think that I would love sports no matter what. Like, oh, mm, this is tough. I, I would have seen myself doing something like, oh, I don't know. This is like really shady to say, but I would have done some sport with so much more money, <laughs> <laughs> like golf or tennis. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, WWE wrestling, you know, the fake stuff. <laughs> I would have found something um, to do. But it's interesting. I mean, I, I played, I was really good at basketball growing up. And I, I enjoy that a lot. And I, I work out at New York Athletic Club, which is unfortunately still very white. So it's got a lot to do, you know, a lot of progression with like diversity, but I see the boys playing basketball there all the time. And I'm like, God, I want to play. <laughs> I want to play. Cause they just, I don't know. There's just a little bit of a competitive edge in me, but I think probably tennis. I think I would really have enjoyed that as a sport. And that wasn't something that I was exposed to as a kid growing up because um, it just wasn't in our family, but I love, love, I mean, I stand Serena Williams. Oh like, my God. You, yeah. Yes. Like she is the reason why I watch tennis, her and Venus. Oh, me too. I a hundred percent. Like started watching her when I was 14 and like, just, I, I don't know. I draw inspiration from her in many ways because like swimming can be a very conservative sport and just seeing someone come from the most impoverished background, right? You cannot get any more, like, I don't want to say ghetto, but, like, you can't get any more, like, I don't know, like, bottom of the barrel is, like, Compton, California. Like, that is the yeah. hook. Com- yeah, you know, Compton like, is very, well, dangerous. It Compton, was dangerous in that time. Yeah. Yeah, it was dangerous in that time. Like, Compton, Inglewood, like, those two places, like, um, to have come from there, you know, playing tennis on hard courts, concrete courts, where her dad, I mean, I read her book, her dad would, like, sweep away syringes, uh-huh. you know, before they would get to practice. And I just think that rags to riches story, and especially tennis, where everyone looks the same. Everyone's uniform, everyone's clothing, everyone's, like, whiteness. And to see, like, a a minority woman go out there and become the greatest of all time, like, that just inspired me so much. Yeah. And that, I mean, can we talk about the fashion? I mean... (laughs) When, uh, I think it was 2004, when she wore that, uh, those knee, those boots. She had... Yeah, knee-high boots. Yeah. Like a black top and, oh... Yes, and like a denim skirt, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, so the US Open, oh my God. And then like two years prior to that, she was wearing the cat suit, uh-huh. which she's kind, of, she's kind of bought back again. But I just remember watching her and just the outfits and how different she looked. She would bleach her hair blonde. She would play with a tiara in her hair, mm-hmm. which I was just like, I mean, so camp, so over the top, but also the best of all time, so she can do that. <laughs> right. She can top that wall. So she, 
she yeah she walked that walk and she she revolutionized the game you oh know, yeah, like, they brought that had, power, that a that power that power. nobody has seen before, and she—they were not knocking these little girls off the courts. They were wiping them off the court. Like when you have you watched tennis, like oh, the yeah. Williams sisters, it is so boring. It's like doom. Yeah, doom. It, it's just like doom. oh, like, I the had pace a is so slow. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the the pace is so slow, but then you see kind of. The Williams sisters and what they did, it's like such a fast, power-driven game. And it's still like, I remember like, I went and I was very blessed to watch Serena play once. And I was like, the television does not do justice to the skill that this woman has. Because when you're watching it live, you can see the spins, you can see the thought into her game. When you watch it on camera, it just looks like she's slogging it. But when you see it in person, like, no, she's like placing every ball deliberately by the baseline in the corner with a spin, with a whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, I just, I don't know, I really hope that she gets like a couple more grand slams in her and, and gets the record because she deserves it more than yes. anyone. Yes, she does. I was so hoping that she would get it this year, but ah. I don't know what it is. She got she to the finals. Yeah, she gets nervous. Yes, that is absolutely right. She gets nervous. Uh, and, you know, it's it's natural. You know, it's human to get nervous, especially when you have mm-hmm. all of this these records on the lines. And, you know, it, right. it, it, it's bound to happen, but it's also bound to happen that she's going to get to those, uh, break those records. I, I so agree with you. I mean... Even if she just goes two more years and win Wimbledon twice. I mean, I remember from like it was like a ten straight years of like all Williams finals at Wimbledon, mm-hmm. which like when you think of Wimbledon, that is all white, right? Like literally, metaphorically, <laughs> physically, like that is England, right? So it's all white. Everyone has to wear all white on court. There's a rule, and like the fact that these two black girls from Compton came up and just took it year after year after year after year for like the better half of a decade is mm-hmm. like respect. Like there's just, there's never, and I, I don't know. I hope, I mean, we have Sloan Stevens, we have Naomi Osaka coming up. We've got Madison Keys, but I don't think we're ever going to see anything as special as the Williams sisters. I don't think so either. And I think when they retire, a large portion of people watching will go away with them. You're right. People will stop because they're so exciting. And I mean, there's a reason why I watch tennis. They're the reason why I learned the rules of tennis. But I just, I don't know. It's, hmm. How do I describe the impact? Uh, I don't know. Uh, mm. It's it's, it's so kind of, much that it's difficult or doesn't do it justice to put it into words. It doesn't, you're very right. It doesn't put it into justice. It's like, even if there's going to be a movie, because you know there's going to be a movie about the Williams sisters. Like oh, God, yeah. <laughs> You know, and <laughs> I mean, I'm right there at the first ticket to watch that film. It's like, I don't know. Like, I, for me, what's bothered me the most about their journey, especially Serena's, is that only just now, only now, do I feel like she's finally gotten the credit that she's deserved? Because for so long, for so long, I remember reading so many different articles slandering her, 
talking down upon her, throwing shade on her name, saying she'll never be able to come back. And now that she's on the brink of history, everyone's team Serena. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, I've been team Serena for 15 years. Like, mm-hmm. all of you hangarons that are like just riding on the wave of history haven't been there the whole journey. Like, it has been a tumultuous journey. <laughs> right. Cause when she came back, when I think what, after she had her, uh, her baby, she baby. had the, mm-hmm. the embolisms and she almost died. Yeah. So it's been, yeah. it's been hard. And yeah, I am right there with you as far as these, oh, Serena's this, oh, the dad is fixing the matches, oh, she's too big, oh, she's... Yeah. Too, and you can see it in the writing that they do in the Racism. Match. Oh my God, it is, those writings are laced with it. She's overpowering she's commanding and it's like oh okay we see what she's too much she's too this she's too that she's too big she's too overweight she's too unfit she's too like oh i mean it it she doesn't make it easy to be a fan of hers because for so long everyone just resented and hated her Mm -hmm. and i i hated that and that was that to me is what made me love her even more because no matter how many people wrote, you know, even John McEnroe at some one point, like no matter how many people had her out for the count, she managed to always believe in herself. Right. And I think that is such a, like a beautiful message that any person should be able to find inspiration from. Exactly. Mm. <sighs> yeah. We love Serena. We stay in Serena. I said, <laughs> if I ever met Serena, I think I would burst into tears. Oh, same. I mean, I just, yeah. I don't know if she even knows how, like, her influence and her impact. I hope she does. I have a feeling she does. I hope she does, yeah. Well, Amini, that does bring it into our interview I want to thank you so much for coming on Mega Shane. Um, if you would, uh, can you let everybody know where they can find you on social media uh, and these uh, projects if they want to help some way or donate? Um, can you yeah. give out that information? Yeah, it's just um, my Instagram and and Twitter are the same. So Amini Fanua, A M I N I, and then Fanua is about F for Freddie, O N for Nancy. UA. And um, I mean, I don't have a Kickstarter or anything yet, but if I do have that, maybe I can come back on the show and we'll talk about it. But Absolutely. Um, yeah, this was really fun. And maybe that time I'll be able to meet Victor. But yeah, thank yeah. you so much, Nick, for having me. I really ah. appreciate. Yeah. Not a problem at all. And you can follow the podcast on Megan Pod. I'm at Porter Possess. Victor's at Wonder Man 5. You can like, rate, subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Megashing Pod. Uh, be on the lookout for our website here in the next couple of weeks. Um, and with that being said, you all have a good night. Thank you. Bye.